Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Boom sauce, everybody. Boom sauce. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I hope everyone's had a great start to their week. I hope everyone had a great week last week. We're on a roll here at the Bradford Show. Not only did we do four straight weeks of four podcasts a week, but we started this week with an excellent one. Tori Lovello, awesome, as always. And we're going to keep it ball rolling. Dave Dombrowski, the man who hired Alex Cora the first time as we get ready for Alex Cora being hired the second time. Dombrowski's very, very good. Now, keep in mind, when we did this conversation, we talked a little bit about Tony La Russa. We did not know about uh, Tony La Russa's, um legal troubles, DUI, that was disreported. Uh, but still, I don't think that takes away from the overall conversation because I do believe that LaRusse is going to remain the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Obviously, Dombrowski and LaRusse are very tight, and I think Dombrowski gives some really, really good insight into why the White Sox actually hired LaRusse. We start off a little bit by what Dombrowski is doing. i got to be honest with you, the buzz throughout baseball – for a lot of October, was it Dombrowski was going to be the next guy with the Angels? Actually, going back to September, he was going to be the next guy for the Angels. It was going to be a great fit. They got money. They had stars. He was going to be the guy who put him over the top. But if you listen to Dombrowski on this podcast, he talks about his commitment to this project in Nashville, getting baseball in Nashville. So we talk about that. We talk about La Russa, And then we get into, obviously, we get into Cora. And remember... We have to understand, why is Alex Cora here? Not just because it's a name, not just because the fan base wanted him, not just because the ownership wanted him. Why is he here? Why is he the best fit? For instance, Lavello had a great, great explanation about what it takes to be a manager in this day and age. You know, in, in years past, the game kind of plays out. And, you know, in 1995, the game would play out for nine innings and then, um, you know, the best team would, would on that day would generally win. Now today the game is broken down into nine, nine segments. It's, it's, it's very specialized. And, you know, there's a little bit of a challenge with that. So you got to manage nine different innings um, uh, each and every night. That, that's a little bit of the changeover. I think what you can't do is just say that we are the Boston Red Sox or the Arizona Diamondbacks and you're coming to Fenway and we're, we're going to beat you guys. That just doesn't happen in baseball anymore. It's so competitive. Um, it's so um, diverse, as I got a chance to explain with, with how it's broken down in the segments, that teams are very well prepared today. Um, so really what, what, I, what I demand here in Arizona is that we're, we fundamentally execute at a very high level uh, in everything that we do. So the drill packages that we put in in spring training, um, we practice fast. That's one of my demands, and we practice hard. For when we need to make that play in the ninth inning in, in August, we practiced it many, many times, and it's still fresh in our minds. That never goes away. I just think the message that you gotta you got to continue pounding down is that there is a vision. There is something at the end of this road that we want to get to. Uh, we can't just throw the baseballs out there anymore. That just doesn't happen. Uh, teams, teams have gotten good really fast, and if you're getting counterpunched, you got to figure out how to defend that counterpunch. And really, those are, the, those are some of the things that I talk about with our team and really the staff as well. <laughs> we need to identify when we're getting counterpunched or sucker punched. Um, and we can't let that happen. So 
we rely on one another. We rely on the staff. We rely on the front office to give us some information. Uh, and we go out there and apply it every single day. Great insight from Lavello, and I think Dombrowski has some great insight in terms of not only you know his status, not only Larusa in terms of where he's going, uh, how he got there, but with Alex Cora, why they identified Alex Cora back on that hotel room in New York, leading into the 2017 World Series, what they saw in him then, what he saw in him as he became manager all the way to winning a World Series, so. Listen, it's a timely podcast. Please subscribe. Please leave good reviews. All of it. We'll keep the ball rolling, and I hope that you would really enjoy this one and enjoy it like you enjoy all of the Bradfoe shows. Here you go, Dave Dombrowski. I mean, it's uh, an interesting situation. Um, you know, Nashville's a tremendous city, um, growing city, vibrant, um, interested in having Major League Baseball here. There was a group called Music City Baseball that contacted me uh, a while ago, and then we continued to consult and, and talk to them over um, you know the summertime. And basically, they're in a position where they want to try to get a Major League Baseball franchise here. Now, when I say that, it's speculative. I mean, it's there's a lot of work ahead. Uh, there's no guarantees for Major League Baseball, but when you travel around uh, cities like I have for years, you, you can see the potential here. I mean, it already has a football team. It has now has a soccer team. The Predators have done well in hockey, so you can see it's very interesting. Um, and uh, we're kind of that's what our goal is to try to get this done. To be perfectly honest with you, you know, I when I had heard you know your name come up for different jobs and everything else, but it sounds like you're pretty passionate about this. Or was there was there any pull to throw your hat in the ring for some of these other other jobs? Well, what ended up happening here is um, I had told them that, and again, being a speculative venture, that if they were in a position where they could make a commitment to me um, going forward that I would make a commitment to them and not pursue um, a major league general manager's job. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't want to be, ever be so presumptuous to say that anybody would hire me, but some contacts that I had with other organizations that had the availabilities, I had told them that was my situation and um, was very happy here. Well, that's great. That's great. I'm glad. It sounds like a great project. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. You know, after all these years in the game, it's something different. We do something different all the time. We're talking about, you know, stadium operation, you know, trying to get stadium built and investors and diversity and the musical industry and sports and people within the community. And it's just built a lot of... Uh, possibilities as we move forward here but it's uh, it is interesting and it's fun having tony larusa around like i i had a, a great appreciation i didn't really know him before he was around with with you with the red sox and it was fun i i, I enjoyed talking with him um was that a surprise to you the how that all went down well it it wasn't only because i i had been talking to tony so as soon as the uh the change there took place with Rick Renteria. I know that they had contacted him. And then at that point, it was a matter that he was, um, I know there was interest uh, and at least finding out what was going on because Jerry had reached out to him to see if he would have any interest. So now before that, I would say, yeah, I was a little bit surprised, although occasionally throughout, 
the you know last few years even he would say ah, you know sometimes I think I look at back into managing you know wouldn't mind doing it I do know he interviewed for a job last winter um, that he decided to not pursue that I know a club had interest in him and so um, but I think it really would significantly change it for him and I mentioned this before is that his hip replacement surgery that he had really changed him from a physical perspective he was scuffling when he was with uh, with us trying to walk around and I mean, it just was hard for him. It was a grind, but he told me after the hip replacement surgery last December, and I have not seen him since that because hmm. uh, of, you know, the COVID scenario, he said he feels like a new person again. He was walking all spring and during COVID he'd go out and walk around in the summertime. So I know his mind's good. Um, and, you know, really he had talked to me about what, what in his own mind the obstacles were the most and one of them was the grind Hmm. of a season and he felt that he could handle it so um he's the one that has to make the determination we all know that a a long baseball season can be a grind on anyone but i think in his situation he's prepared for it so it didn't shock me because of conversations we had um and you could tell i mean very quickly once he was thinking about it um I was pretty sure that he was going to be interested and take it, although you know it took him a little while to kind of work through some of the thought processes himself, which makes sense because it's such a big movie. He wanted to make sure he was 100% committed to doing it. He, he always struck me as, you know, we, we talk about how baseball has changed, but he always struck me as a guy who asked questions. And, you know, if, and you were probably right in the middle of him asking a lot of those questions and looking the analytics and, and things like that. Am I, am I right in that respect? Oh. No question about it. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, first of all, I know he's you know, he's a little older. He's 76. But, I mean, he's also in a position where he's extremely intelligent. He's a lawyer. He went and got his law degree. He was always in a position where he was um, inquisitive and trying to get better in every in every way that he possibly could. And you could see he was a trendsetter in some areas. I mean, he was a trendsetter in using the Dennis Eckersley as a closer. He was a trendsetter when I mean, he tried hitting the pitcher eighth mm-hmm. rather than ninth. I mean, he was always open-minded to doing those things, and he continued to be that way with us. Now, he's also, which I think is great, he's also not of the mindset that just because you tell him something that he's always going to believe it. He, if he He's always open to get better, but he wants to kind of explore why rather than somebody just giving him information and it being gospel. Mm-hmm. So, um, But he's very inquisitive, very open-minded, and I mean, you, you know from being around him that you, you could see that the youngsters got along with him great. Yeah. He communicated well with them. They they enjoyed being around him. And I remember there were many times that that Alex would say, come on, Tony, get, you know, can you come around on the field a little bit? You know, like sometimes he'd want to not get in the way and sit up in the, he'd sit up in the box and watch batting practice or sit up in the stands. And he'd say, oh, I don't want to be in the way. He'd say, come on, you're not in the way. Come on, come on, get down there. You know, I mean, and, and the players just love being around him and he loved being around the players. Yeah, he did. That's a great point. <laughs> the, um, and so speaking of Alex, like I said, what do you remember? I'm really anxious to hear, like, what do you remember about when you interviewed him and hired him the thing that jumped out at you that said, this is the guy. Just one thing? or Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It, I mean, obviously, there's more than one things. But if, yeah. there was, if there's like one or two things that really sort of separated him. Well, a very intelligent baseball person. 
He's a very intelligent person, but he's a very intelligent baseball person. And you can tell he studied the game all along. Now, as we start to do, and I started to do my homework even before the interview, and then after the interview, when you talk to people that knew Alex, everybody said that, that he was always, that I talked to, he was always the smartest guy in the in a clubhouse, um, the managers always loved him. They loved being around him. He was always somebody that asked questions, inquisitive about the game. And so he was a guy that, and with that, he just loved baseball. I mean, he was a, he was a guy that could talk baseball 24-7. So with all of that, he was, you know, he was just a very, very knowledgeable guy and paid attention to little details and was focused on things. It was like that nothing that, you know, was out there that got by him. He was mm-hmm. always attentive to that. And that was before he came with us. I mean, that was the homework and through the interview, you could just see that he was really on top of those things. Um, I, I say the other thing that would really, um, and there's a lot of things, so that's a bit of you saying, sure. is his communication skills. I mean, he's just such a good communicator. He's um, a good communicator with you in an interview room, for example, but he's also a good communicator, you could tell, with, uh, people above him as you go upwards so he could talk to ownership very easily a good communicator with the players um, good communicator with the media which i think in boston is extremely important and being bilingual was a was an added plus so um it, that stood out very easily and anything he did of course he was on television beforehand so you could see him on television and how he presented himself, but a great communicator, not afraid to, again, he, he wants all the information he can possibly receive. He's very inquisitive, very smart, uh, and he made that apparent, but he was also one where he would ask you questions like, well, why is this? Why is that? I mean, he, I mean, he, he just is really, really good at that. When, he, when it got to the point of making that decision to hire him, did it, was, it, was it head and shoulders that you said, I'm I'm really really confident that this is the guy. Well, um, yes, but when I say that, um, no, against the people we we only interviewed a couple other people at that point because we figured we could expand our process. Um, if we didn't find somebody, we interviewed Ron Gartenheyer and and Brad Osmus. Um, it, it was one. Not only did I feel that way, but. The group that interviewed them all felt that way. So that was a pretty simple, um, you know, factor. I mean, everybody came across. And again, not that we didn't like the other people, the other individuals. And of course, Ron got hired for the Tiger job. Um, Brad got hired for the Angels job. So, um, you know, we had good candidates in there. But it was apparent from ours, every, every one of the people that were involved in the interview process had Alex on top. Hmm. And when you're going through, obviously, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen a run like he had in 2018, <laughs> certainly in the postseason. When you're going through it with him and you, you've gone through, uh, through seasons with a lot of good, great, great managers, mm-hmm. when you're going through it with him, what is, it, what is something that maybe is like, well, we thought he was going to be that way, but he's even better at it than we thought he was going to be? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Um, well, again, I, I, I talked about the communication. He was really outstanding in that regard. I mean, he was even even better than you can imagine for somebody stepping in and being new in that regard. I, I think he excelled. I, I think the other thing that really was 
he excelled in. Um, and I got to say say two things. One is he had a he had that fine line which the great managers do because the players know that they care about him. That you can be in a position where you can have a great relationship with the player, but you can also push them when necessary. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not everybody has that ability, and they still. Not that they may not, I guess, be upset with you for a minute or something, I, I, or, or a day or whatever it may be. But he had a great ability to do that. I mean, he just, if a guy needed to do a little extra work or um, needed to improve on something or needed to do something with his, his bats, I mean, he, he, he really could communicate that well with the players. He was really, really good on that. And he, um, and yet, I mean, he would um, keep a good relationship with his players. Because they had a great deal of respect, and he was honest with them. So I think that that was really, uh, you know, something that stands out for me when I saw him. Um, the other thing he really had a, a great feel of is, um, probably better than is than you would anticipate for a first-time manager was the ability to bring everybody together as an organization. You know, I mean, you'd start with, of course, the coaching staff and the players and the people in their trainer's room and all that. But he, he had a great ability to do that with people within the organization. And for somebody who's new that has so much to do and to learn about the job, he was really, really good at that right off the bat. Hmm. Um, you know, he would take the time. And sometimes, in fact, you, you know, he, he'd wear himself out. You know, in the sense that he would push himself so much to do things, and but it came naturally for him. He would just—he'd stop in the front office, he'd walk through, he'd say hello to people, he'd um, stop by if it was in community relations or PR or the business end of it, and visit with people. And of course, he did it with the front office all the time and the baseball end of it. So he was just really good at that, and, and something that usually takes a long time for somebody to grow into. To be able, to, you know, to do all that because you, you have to prioritize when you have a new manager. Mm. I mean, let's say first and foremost, you got to get to know all your players. You got to do all. He he did all that and, and did those other things too. It's funny you mentioned the the getting on players and them still liking him. I remember at Port St. Lucie, Eduardo Rodriguez, <laughs> early early March. You know, he's got to go deeper. He's got to go deeper. You know, I think that that went a long way. You know, and you look at Erod's career. Of, of having that, hey, this guy who really likes me, he also likes me enough to push me. So, yes. yeah. Yeah, he was really, he was outstanding at that. I mean, you just, uh, I mean, again, and, and I the good ones can do that. I, and I mean, you know that other people still try to push guys, but maybe if they do that, they don't keep that same relationship. But Alex excelled at that. Last thing is, were you confident that he was that you know that this was going to be a blip in his story that he was going to get the the opportunity again? I thought he would manage again. Yes, I thought he would. Um, I didn't know. I mean, of course, I was completely up to the Red Sox. Did not know if it would be this one or something else, another job. But I, I didn't have any question he would because he's a good person. You know, I mean, he, he's a quality. Per- he's a he's a good manager, which is of course is important. But he's also He's a good person. He made a mistake, um, paid his dues for the mistake. And um, people, you usually, if you do that, you handle yourself well. Society is forgiving in those things. And you see other people that have been involved in 
sports in the world, really, that they bounce back. And so, yes, I, I did think he'd be in. I, and I would think if you know, maybe there's no other jobs now, but if the Red Sox didn't hire him somewhere down the road, somebody would hire him very quickly because he's so good.